And a warm welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. I hope you had a fantastic bank holiday weekend. Thanks for joining me, for finding me. I've got two very interesting guests for you in the second hour of the programme today. Michael Rachia will join the programme. Fascinating man. He talks a lot about how communications with the spirit world with energies, with spiritual entities, not only proves that life after death is real, but that it helps to improve life in this reality. And he's written a series of books called The Joseph Communications. He's had help as Michael. And those books were based on guidance given to Michael by a spirit or energy known as Joseph. Fascinating. Really interesting. That to come a bit later on. Before that, the brilliant journalist and documentary film producer Jackie Devon joins me. We'll talk about a project Jackie's got going on which is of great interest to you and to me and much more. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. Censored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Well, I've told you who the guests are. You can join in with your own commentary. Do that through RichieAllen.co.uk. That's my website, and that is the best way to reach me during the program. RichieAllen.co.uk. Comment live. It is Tuesday. It is May 3rd already. It's, uh, I think this year, it's gone pretty quickly thus far. I don't know about you, but it has done. We're, we're out of the winter, thanks beat to jeepers. We're into spring, mid-spring, and uh, it's nice today. It's warm around Salford, a bit muggy in the northwest of the UK. Hope all is well in your world. I had a fantastic weekend myself, a bank holiday Monday for the ages Uh, Thanks so much to Peter. If you're listening, Peter, thank you for your hospitality and lovely to meet Ruby. I had a fantastic day out in Sheffield yesterday and I'm still spinning from it. So there you are, a bucket list day for me. Thank you, Peter. I see the media is reporting on the important stuff today. Like, uh, should the pornographic... um, That's how he will be known forevermore, Neil Francis. Should porn MP Neil Parrish... Be replaced by a woman. Should we have all-female candidate lists? It's not new, this proposal, but it's everywhere today. Neil Parrish is the farmer-turned-member of Parliament who was caught watching pornography while he was sitting in the House of Commons. One of his peers, one of his Tory colleagues, saw him and dobbed him in. Dobbed him right in it. This story's got some legs, I tell you. It's got a lot of legs. And um, he says, and he swears, right hand to God, that he Googled, using his phone, pictured this now with his thumbs, he's got his thumbs, he Googled class dominator tractor. Because there's a type of tractor called a class dominator. And apparently Google uh, showed him a high class dominatrix. That's allegedly what happened. What kind of fuckery is this? Could happen to anyone. It could happen to anyone. It happened to him. He's gone. He resigned. He's out of there. So the media are loving this today. All stations covering the same story. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Doesn't it? If you're gathering your news independently of other stations, wouldn't it stand to reason that your copy, 
the stories you are covering would differ somehow, but no, and that's an old chestnut of mine, if you don't believe me, do, for the crack, do an experiment, get up early tomorrow morning, get on the telly at six o'clock, get on the radio at the same time at six o'clock, listen to the stories covered by the national news, radio and television stations, supposedly independent of one another, they're covering the same stories in the same order. Makes you wonder, as I said, well, it doesn't. We know what's going on. So they're covering this, should we have half and half in Westminster, half women and half men? And I say, well, how many transgender women would we have, presuming the trans women are not included on the all-female shortlist, which, which they probably would be? Should we have a quota of non-binaries too? What about pan-genders? I'm not joking, by the way. That's where this ultimately leads. Because they should be represented in Westminster. Pan-genders. I don't know a pan-gender. I don't know. I couldn't tell a pan-gender from a cross-gender. Do you? But they should be represented in Westminster. Because they have an hell of a time. They have an hell of a time, really. It's all a bit mad. And uh, my great friend Tez, Terry Howell, dobbing him in, but, but he's self-employed, so he doesn't care about being associated with the Richie Allen show. He doesn't care. Nobody can fire him. Uh, Tez sent me this hilarious but also quite sad story. You might be aware that Lancashire County, excuse me, Yorkshire County Cricket Club was plunged into controversy late last year when a former player said that he was racially abused during his time at the club. And heads fell and in came a new chairman and swore he would root out bigotry and that he would make it a very inclusive club for everyone. And inclusivity is the buzzword of, well, this, this paradigm, isn't it? Inclusivity. So Lancashire County Cricket Club, which is very dear to my heart, and Tez's, we often pop down to watch the old T20. Well, we did until the scam. But they want a head of inclusion and engagement. Full-time, competitive salary and flexible slash hybrid working will be considered. How interesting. Listen to some of this nonsense. We want our staff and the people that visit and interact with us to be able to truly be their authentic selves. Hang on, hang on there now, Paddy, hang on, hang on. We want our staff and everyone who comes to Lancashire County Cricket Club to be able to truly be their authentic selves. We also want everybody, irrespective of background, to enjoy coming to the club, to face no barriers in making the most of their experience and to feel welcomed by all those they encounter. This is dystopian bollocks, this, isn't it? Isn't it? We want everybody who comes here to be their authentic selves and we want everybody working at the club to bend over backwards to give individual experiences to people tailored to their cultural sensitivities. Is that what it is? It's and madness. I mean, do we really believe that Indian, British Indians and British Pakistanis British Sikhs, do we really believe that they head off to Lancashire to watch the War of the Roses? Lancashire are playing Yorkshire in a four-day cricket match in the, in the county league. Do you really think that an Indian bloke is going, well, I'm really hoping for a match day experience that fits in with my cultural sensitivities? Fuck off. Watch the cricket and shut the fuck up. How about them apples? Well, I want to know how many of the starting 11 are LGBTQ+++++++++++++++. None. None of them are. None of them. 
you racist, hateful, bigoted club homophobes. Well, sorry, the only instructions instructions even we gave to the scouts were to find the best batsmen and bowlers. How stupid of us. We were absolutely bigoted when we used the term batsmen. Should have been bats people. How stupid. Of course we need a few gays and a few trannies in the team and a few non-binaries to make sure that our LGBTQ++++ fans have a more fulfilling match day experience. Now, we'll lose every fucking game, mind, but as long as 2% of the 20,000 people in the crowd is catered for, eh? Makes you want to quit, doesn't it? Doesn't it make you want to quit radio? I've had enough of this shite. I don't know about... I don't know about you. Channeling my inner Boris Johnson. I don't know about you, dear listeners. Do you want to quit? I'm fed up with it. Billy, what should we do, Billy? Billy, what should we do? Let's get pissed and watch porn. Yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Let's get pissed and watch porn. This is uh, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. It's coming up for nine minutes past the hour. Good idea, by the way. Um, that is a good idea. That is a good idea. Hey, listen, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, addressed the RADA. That's the Ukrainian Parliament today. And he had a couple of interesting things to say. Here he is, Johnson. And I've wandered the lovely streets of your capital. And I've seen enough about Ukrainian freedom to know that the Kremlin was making a fundamental miscalculation. A terrible mistake. And I told everybody I knew, anybody who would listen, that Ukraine would fight and Ukraine would be right. And yet there were some who believed the Kremlin propaganda, uh, that Russian armor would be like an irresistible force going like a knife through butter and Kiev would fall in days. Uh, do you remember they said that? And people rang Volodymyr and they offered him safe passage out of the country. And he said, no, thanks. And they said that this rather of yours would have to be reformed outside Ukraine, maybe even in, uh, in Poland or or, or in London, perhaps. And I refused to believe it. And Why did you refuse to believe it? And today, you have proved them completely wrong. Every one of those military experts who said that Ukraine would fall. And your farmers, your farmers kidnapped Russian tanks. What? With their tractors. What? Did they? What was that? And your farmers, your farmers kidnapped Russian tanks with their tractors. How do you kidnap a tank? Your pensioners stood up in the road and told Russian soldiers to hop it. To what? As we say, or well, they may use, they may have used more colourful language than that. I think you're lying, Boris. And even in the parts of Ukraine that were temporarily captured. Your populations, your indomitable populations turned out to protest day after day. And though your soldiers were always outnumbered, three to one it is now, they fought with the courage and the energy of lions. And you've beaten them back from Kiev. You have exploded the myth of Putin's invincibility. Yeah, but the, the, the neutral observer, of which I am one, genuinely... Although I've said a thousand times, wh whoever pulls the trigger is in the wrong, regardless, irrespective, irregardless, irrespective. But um, I think P Putin, if you want to call him that, the Russian pre uh, president, I, I think the withdrawal from Kiev or Kiev 
Well, that was exactly what they wanted to do. If Russia wanted to level Kiev and other Ukrainian cities, Russia could do it. I don't think they were beaten back by the Ukrainian army. And I'm a neutral observer here. I am, as much as you can be in these crazy times. Crazy times. Uh, crap from Johnson. Absolute nonsense. We've been following what's been going on in China, haven't we? In Shanghai, in Beijing, the lockdowns. And how absolutely dystopian, and I know that's a word, it's overused, I know, I know. And horribly, horribly totalitarian those lockdowns are. But this is a quite bizarre story out of China yesterday. Funeral workers in Shanghai had to return a body bag to a retirement home after noticing the person inside was still alive. Well, the whole thing was caught on camera with workers in full protective gear moving the person back inside when they realised they weren't dead. The Shanghai district government says five officials have been punished and the licence of a doctor revoked. Shanghai has seen strict coronavirus measures in the last few weeks, with questions being raised about just how reliable the social welfare system is in a prolonged lockdown. That is straight out of Monty Python's... Uh, which one is it? The Holy Grail, is it? Remember that, bring out your dead. This one's not, I'm not dead. Remember that, bring out your dead. I've got one, I'm not dead. Yes, you are, I'm not dead. And then they whack him over the head. What a mad reality we inhabit. Isn't it absolutely crazy, this world? I'm so looking forward to talking with uh, um, my, my secondary guest, of course, Michael Rachia. I can't wait for that. Now, this is big today, coming out of the United States of America. And I will get into this tomorrow, I think, with some old friends. It's the Roe versus Wade, US Supreme Court. Are you following this? Big story today, and it's getting global coverage, global media coverage. This is about a leak from the US Supreme Court suggesting that the national right to abortion could be overturned. And that has people up in arms. And I would genuinely like your thoughts on this. I am a bloke. Um, I won't ever carry a child. And I grew up, obviously you know, very lefty, very left-leaning. And I grew up seeing these things in very much black and white terms. And I would have said, uh, a woman's right to choose, it's her body, and that's the end of it. Now, I'm not saying I don't still have sympathy with that position, but it's a bit more shades of grey for me now, really. And um, I'd like your thoughts on it, you know. So this US Supreme Court decision, this decision on... Roe versus Wade, which of course was the um, um, landmark early 1970s ruling, protecting the right of a woman to have an abortion effectively. Um, is it going to be under threat? Again, I have to look a little bit more into this, but I did catch an interesting interview on Julia Hartley Brewer's talk radio programme this morning with a bloke who heads up uh, Conservatives, or Republicans even, what's his name, Gray, excuse me, Greg Swanson. He's a Republican overseas UK. So he's an American guy in the UK, and he's a lot to do with Republicans overseas. Have a listen to him speaking with Julia Hartley Brewer a little bit earlier today. What's clear is that, at least to, to conservative jurists, is that the law as written in 1973 is flawed and so laws are supposed to be writ written by the congress or by the states depending on on the law so that no one's saying that you can't have an abortion 
No one's saying that abortion will disappear in the U.S. What they are saying is that the law, as written, was flawed. Let's send it back to the legislatures whose job is to make law. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that you have the right to kill an unborn child. It's just not in there. But again, so that's, when we, that's use, but when we use those words. Yeah. And again, I, I, I'm willing to accept yeah. that that is, a, that is a, a, a sort of factual statement, but it's also a very yeah. evocative and emotional statement, isn't it? Sure. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's what people have to keep in mind. Is it's an emotional topic, this, but this law is not designed... This, this law... Is, actually, the court is addressing the right of the states to make yeah. abortion illegal after 15 weeks, which is the way it's done in Europe. You know, that's all they're trying to do. Well, no, like it's not. In US most countries, it's not after 15 weeks. Around the 20, 24 weeks is, is, is actually the norm in most countries. But this is it. This is, this is such a divisive issue. Now, there are True. people, if you look at, yeah. say, Britain, in Britain, in our parliament, there every now and then is an attempt to, you know, to reduce the age, the, the number of weeks at which you can have uh, basic abortion. We have awful phrase mm. on demand, but, but actually, you know, not have to uh, uh, prove that uh, the woman's life is at risk or there is a, a disability of sure. the child. Um, but actually, in pretty much most Western countries, this is something that has been agreed and decided. And, and within the sort of a range of a few weeks, most countries, most people in most countries, support the right of women to uh, basically have control of their own bodies as a least worst option in many situations. Not just yeah. after victim, someone being a victim of incest or a victim of rape, but pe women you know, who just get pregnant, even if they've not used contraception or if they've used contraception whether they're married, yeah. whether they're teenagers, that this is backstreet abortions, women being forced to carry babies they don't want. That is not that is not where we are in the 21st century. In America, this is still a huge, huge, huge moral, religious, philosophical and political yeah. battleground, isn't it? It's Greg Swenson she's speaking to, Republicans overseas, he says. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's still a very, you know, divisive topic. And I think that, I, I hope during this process, there's just a bit of perspective here so that people don't get too freaked out on either side, you know, uh, and, and they shouldn't. Because, wait, wait, wait a minute. There are trigger laws in 22 U.S. Yeah. states, which would mean that immediately when this decision is handed sure. down, they would make yeah. getting an abortion illegal in, in we're looking at almost half of American states. And, and and the states and the legislatures should decide that. And if you are an advocate of certain type of abortion laws, then you should you should put that out to you know put that to the voters ultimately. And then, to, but but more specifically, or in the near term, to the legislatures. He's basically saying if you don't like the laws, if your if your state is planning to make it more difficult for a woman to have an abortion, if you don't like it, replace the legislatures. Excuse me, replace the legislators. Replace them in, in elections and then you can do as you wish. Yeah, I'd like your thoughts on this. I really would. I mean, should, should a state be, should the state have the power to compel a woman to carry to full term under threat of imprisonment if she doesn't? Should it have? These are questions, you see, I used to have easy answers for, but now I genuinely don't, and I'm not trying to sit on the old fence there and appease everyone. I don't. Should the state have the right to tell a woman who was sexually assaulted and became pregnant because of that assault? I don't know how common that is now. I really don't. I have no figures. Because when that argument is brought up, pro-life people say, that's just nonsense. It very rarely happens. But I'm not sure. I, I know they're... I know through my time in commercial radio, doing mid-morning talk, that it wasn't entirely uncommon 
for girls to be sexually abused by a father or an uncle and then you know, become pregnant as a result of that. What do you think, and I will be talking about it, I think, tomorrow, and hopefully coming at it from a kind of a different angle. I mean, that's the point of this programme, isn't it? It's 20 minutes past the hour. This is The Richie Allen Show. It is Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022. Uh, and it's um, it's going to be really good to catch up with Jackie Devi in a couple of minutes' time. And just after that, Michael Rachia will be on the programme. Maria Heller, who I love and adore, I've known her for a decade, more than a decade, put me in touch with Michael, and thank God she did. He's a fascinating man. We'll be hearing from him in hour two. You can comment live on the programme by going to my website. It's simply richieallen.co.uk. It's lovely to be with you this uh, Tuesday and, uh, and rested after a lovely bank holiday weekend. I am Richie Allen, the BBG, Jackie Devoy, on the other side of this, from the late, great Tom Petty. Well, I started, I'm learning to fly. Yeah, it's uh, 24 and a half minutes past five. That's Tom Petty, learning to fly. RichieAllen.co.uk for your comments. Lovely to welcome back to the programme. Great friend of mine was uh, very, very good to me in London, producing a television programme I was involved in. Fleet Street journalist, her stories have appeared in every newspaper in this country for many years. And she was the, was the brains, really, and the journalist behind A Good Death, the film about Midazolam which uh, was made in conjunction with the great uh, team at Iconic.com. It's uh, always a pleasure to welcome back to the programme my pal, the great Jackie Devi. How are you doing, Jackie? I'm good, thank you, Richie. Thank you for having me back. It's always good to have you. Tell me what I'm going to do. I'm going to disconnect the call and reconnect because it's a little bit scratchy yep. and sometimes when yep. I do that, it works. So I'll come right back to you. Jackie is in one of those areas. She's not far from the south coast and the internet connectivity is, isn't great. That's why we're using mobile. You see, you've got to make do, you see. And uh, the mobile is slightly better than the internet connectivity. Let's welcome That'd Jackie be back. I think it might be a bit better, Jackie. Great to be back with you. Before um, we have a chat about a couple of things, namely the High Court ruling last week that the government broke the law when it came to discharging people into care homes. I'm going to spring a little bit of a surprise on you now. Um, you don't have to answer no, this if you don't want. No, but as a, as a woman, I'm fa- you're a woman, obviously. I'm fascinated by this um, news coming out of Mississippi. Um, a court in Mississippi has basically accepted that. It, well, a court decision in Mississippi that would um, uh, ban abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy, even in cases of rape or incest, that decision in Mississippi has now gone to the Supreme Court in America, and the Supreme Court seems like it's going to uphold it. And I, I, we've never spoken about this, and blokes no, tend no. to shy away from, you know, I have a lot of female friends who don't like the idea of abortion, and then I have a lot of female friends who say, um, my body, my choice, and how dare the state think, even think about intervening and telling me what I should or shouldn't do. Have you any thoughts or should I just move the hell on? No, no, it's fine. Um, I've got quite strong views on um, abortion, actually. Let me just see. I've got an echo here. Hang on. You- Sorry, I've taken you off loudspeaker. Um, yeah, I've got quite strong views, really. I've always said I'm personally against abortion for myself, personally. Um, but I'm pro-choice as well. So, um, 
you know, it depends on the, on a person's situation, on their personal circumstances, you know, what they feel they need to do. Um, I'm a little bit doubtful about the, the, the my body, my choice, because it's not just your body. There's another little body as well. So that one doesn't really stand with me. But, um, yeah, it all depends on the circumstances. And, you know, obviously I've had uh, friends who've had to have terminations for one reason or another. And nobody, nobody wants one. Nobody likes one. I don't, don't know anyone who, who does it with any kind of joy in their heart. It's um, a dreadful a dreadful thing for anyone to have to go to, but through. But sometimes, sometimes they do have to go through it. So, um, so this fifteen week thing. I mean, the baby is is getting quite big after fifteen weeks. So, yeah, I can hear where they're coming from. But again, it does seem like a step backwards, really. Final question on that. That's a really good answer. Thank you. As a, a journalist, you will have an idea as to how common this is because I don't know. We hear this scenarios are thrown up and one of them is a woman becoming pregnant because of sexual abuse, rape or or incest. Now, pro-life people jump straight on that and say that this is, you know, not so much a straw man argument, but it just doesn't happen that often. Now, you have written a thousand or a hundred thousand stories about, um, not only just about current events, but human interest stories, Jackie. How common do you yeah. think it is for women to become pregnant because of abuse or because of rape? Is that reasonably common? Do you know? Well, I think it's uh, pro- probably more common than we know because a lot of people don't don't speak out about that kind of thing. A lot of women who do get pregnant when they are raped will just quickly have have a termination and maybe never speak about it again. They're not not going to be like shouting it from the rooftop. No. Um, a lot of people don't even tell their closest friends if they've gone through something like that, you know. So I would say there probably are figures on it. I don't know what they are, but I would say they're probably hundreds uh, uh, times bigger than the ones that, that we have because, um, like I said, people don't often speak out about it. And how so could, I would say yeah. it's, it's quite common. And how could anyone expect um, a woman to carry to term a baby that has come into being through an experience like that. I, I just, I don't get it. I'm not offensive. It would be traumatic. Wouldn't it? But at the same time, I would, I would say, obviously it would be traumatic, but at the same time, I was, it's not the baby's fault, is it? No. You know? So, so it, it's a, it's a very tricky argument and, and some people are able to cope with it better than others. And I have read stories in women's magazines that, uh, about women who've had babies as the result of, of rapes. And, once they've got the baby, they don't think about they don't think about the rape anymore. They don't think about the rape every time they look at the child because you just couldn't function like that. So, um, the, the the joy that the child brings usually kind of um, overcomes the, the the horror of what's happened in the past. So, in a way, it can be a good thing, I suppose, for some people. But again, it depends on the person and, and their psychological state and you know yeah. what kind of personality they have, whether they can cope or not. How would you possibly, it's amazing speaking to you because it goes off on tangents all the time, but this is a very important one, I think. How, how could you possibly, as the mum, so I, I love that, and, and listen, I wouldn't think any less of a woman who was raped, who carried, you know, who carried through with the pregnancy. I wouldn't think she's mad. I wouldn't think anything like that. I think fair play to her. At some stage yeah. in the future, though, you're going to have to speak to your daughter or to your son about their father. Yeah. How do you begin to even broach yeah. that? You know, just be honest from the start, I suppose. Like with, with with a lot of things that you have to tell children as soon as they start asking questions, tell them they, they tell them the truth. It's the only way forward. 
we'll leave it there. That's I, I don't know how you deal with that. I don't know how I would deal with it if if my mother had said to me, "Your your father, where's my dad? Where, well, why I, I've I've nothing to do with him. Um, he." brutally raped me and you're the result of it. How would you even come to terms with that? But look, that's another discussion. Children, children, are, children are very, very good at accepting truth. Resilience, um, you mean, yeah. Quite often, they'll probably say, all right, uh, what's on telly, you know, or, or what's for dinner, you know. But they just absorb it and, and um, yeah, children are really, really good at, at just accepting things, you know. Jackie Devoy is um, crowdfunding. Uh, there aren't there, there aren't too many people I trust when it when it comes to that. Jack, you, Jackie, you, you can bank on Jackie Devi. Just look at um, a good death with a question mark on the end. Brilliant filmmaking. We'll talk about what you're doing in a few minutes. When the High Court here last week ruled that the government broke the law, doing what it did in yeah. care homes, we of course people like you and me raised an eyebrow. I raised an eyebrow because of your work, because this is far more complicated than. Most people imagine what went through your mind when you heard that Hancock and Johnson had been well, found. Yeah, the, the first time, the first time the, the news story popped up, I thought, "Oh, that's really good news." And I'm very pleased for Dr. Kathy Gardner, who actually won the case. Um, but then I thought about it a little bit more and, and read through it, and then thought that um, really the whole story was put out there. I think to perpetuate the asymptomatic transmission myth because I've never, never believed that there is such a thing as asymptomatic transmission. But now, this court case, it's kind of in writing now and out there now that it's, it's fact that asymptomatic transmission is a fact. Everyone believed, well, a lot of people, most people believed that transferring people with a virus, the virus, whatever you want to call it, um, in, from hospitals into care homes, that it would spread like wildfire. Now, um, I don't. I don't know if it did or not. All I know is, you know, about the story of my dad. His care home. They had no COVID deaths in his care home. There were a hundred people in there. Um, I need to do a bigger survey to find out, you know, what, where it was all happening because there were a lot, thousands and thousands of deaths in care homes. But was it from this asymptomatic transmission or even symptomatic transmission for us, or was it for something else? Now. Um, Last week, there was also an article in the Express talking about how a lot of elderly people died of broken hearts in care homes. It was a really sad story, a very good story by Lucy Johnston from the Sunday Express. Um, I'm sure, well, we know that can happen. You can die of a broken heart. My dad was broken hearted, you know, as were thousands and thousands of other elderly people locked away in prison for no crime. Um, but I think there's another reason, and we know what it is, because that wasn't that, that was what my documentary was based on, I think that a lot of people, elderly people in particular, uh, transferred into care homes, because it's not just elderly people in care, care homes, there are disabled people in care homes and um, people with mental disabilities and stuff. Um, but with the elderly in particular, they were transferred to a care home only to be greeted by a syringe driver full of midazolam and morphine. Um, and they were, they were systematically got rid of. And, and you, that's yeah. a fact because I've spoken to so many people now, so many people now who come to me saying that that happened to my mum, that happened to my sister, that happened to my husband. And the shocking thing is, I mean, as you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just stick on, on this, this subject alone, but I do think that story was put out there because no one actually won. What, what, what did they win, you know? 
So no one's been held accountable. No one's going to be punished for it, whether whether you believe in asymptomatic tr- transmission or not. You know, no, no one, no one's going to be held accountable. What so you what said, was the point of it? What, I think the point of it was yeah. to just perpetuate this myth. Well, I think I think you might be bang on the money. In the aftermath of the verdict, the media focus was on whether Hancock lied about whether he was told about asymptomatic transmission. And that's what it focused on. It certainly, you know, didn't um, in any way focus on whether asymptomatic transmission is reality, whether it's possible. You're right. Well, the other interesting thing is that, um, that they said all these, pe- all these elderly people died in the care homes from COVID, which is whether, whatever they died of, that was slapped on the death certificate um, for a, a large percentage of them. But if asymptomatic transmission is a thing, and uh, and if COVID spreads like wildfire, well, number one, we'd all be dead. But um, and if it's airborne, like they try and um, um, make out that it is, uh, why aren't there swathes of care home workers dead? Yeah, that's a sixty-four million dollar question. That one. Yeah. So they're in the care homes as well. So, so obviously we know COVID is, is, is very picky and cheesy. So while they're going, oh no, that's not an elderly person, I'll just go over here to the elderly person, um, I, I, won't, I won't go to the care worker. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's very bizarre. It isn't, what, whatever it is, whether it is a thing or not, whether it's just flu rebranded, um, it, it, it doesn't work how they say it works, you know, because we, if, we, if we all really believed there was a killer virus, in the air, no one would go outside the door. No one would send their kids to school, you know? No. No, and if you believe... All the, shop, all the shop workers would be dead. Everyone working in restaurants would yeah. be dead. I'd be dead a thousand times over because, as you know, I didn't follow one single stupid rule. No. Um, <laughs> Me neither. In fact, I, I went further the other way. I washed my hands less and kissed people more. <laughs> yeah, you heartless wench. You were going around trying to give it to people. <laughs> even though... Uh, no, but you're absolutely give, give right. Give the thing I no, and and we we you know that um, Caroline and myself live within sight of. I can see it out the window, the uh, Salford Royal, which is a very big hospital up here, and I I I have a few contacts there, and uh, they were never busy, even though they, they 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 put a huge dent in the actual amount of beds they they had because they moved beds out to make social distancing possible so they reduced bed capacity further and yet they were standing around twiddling their thumbs during yeah. March, April, May, June and July of 2020 and we know we have anecdotal evidence from hospitals all over the country where we're being told by yeah. people who, some people who even rushed into those hospitals, brave people uh, some of them ended up in court for doing it just to prove that yes, I mean, well, look, they gave us good reason to look into the hospitals. The TikTok dancing videos, Jackie, were good enough reason yeah. to uh, to doubt that they were up to their bloody necks in in COVID cases. And yet, I remember, cry, I, I did cry. I'm not ashamed of it. With frustration and with sadness at the fact that most of my neighbours stood on the doorstep on a Thursday night, like um, like I don't know what you'd call them. Um, Muppets um, clapping, seals. yeah, performing seals. Well done. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no hope for us. They're so, I don't know. It, it's so easy to, manip- to, to to manipulate people. And, and that's a brilliant point you're making. Yeah. If you want to stay with that for a minute, this point that they've now managed, they've used this court case to cement in the minds of people 
that asymptomatic transmission is a given and there should be no doubt about it. Yeah, and that's right. not the, the yeah the, the, the finding out whether that's actually a reality or not isn't the issue anymore. That that that's no. just taken as a given, like you said. Now, and because it's a given, Jackie, they can do whatever they like in the future when it comes to more lockdowns, based on that one yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it might appear that nobody is sick. Had, had, yeah, had you heard of asymptomatic transmission before two years ago? I'd never heard the term. No, no, nor did I. They made it up. They just pulled it out of their bottoms like they usually do and uh, and then get everyone to believe. I mean, they've managed to get a huge percentage of the population worldwide to believe in an invisible thing that doesn't exist or no one's sure if it exists. Um, makes you wonder what they're going to do next. Or they were fake alien invasion I'm hoping for I'm looking forward to that one that's that's another subject for another day but on this whole concept (laughs) I I got into a taxi yesterday afternoon after finding it very difficult to get a taxi and uh, I was at a hotel and lovely lady at the front of house of the hotel she said um, getting taxis is very difficult I said bank holiday no I said is it um, Eid because yesterday was Eid wasn't it and she said, um, yeah. well, you'd think so, she said, but no. Anyway, so I'm in the taxi and I said to the driver, what's going on? And the driver was a, was a Muslim chap um, from Kazakhstan. And he said, um, no, he said, pal, he said, uh, yes, you're always liked one or two at this time of year because uh, the lads are, you know, it's Eid. But he said, um, it's people off sick with, with COVID. And I said, would it be healthy people testing positive by any chance. And he said, yeah, yeah, a lot of people uh, in our office, he said, in our rank, are, are calling in and they're getting two or three days off. And uh, yeah, he said, they're not, you know, sneezing and coughing and spluttering. They're just taking time off. And and this is our future, I think, Jackie, unless something is done Yeah, I know. I mean, a, a friend said to me last night he'd been ill with COVID. And I said, you mean you took a test which, which was positive, a test that's not fit for purpose, which came out positive, and then you had, you had some symptoms of something which resembled a cold, and you went, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> and you were better in a few days. Yeah, okay. So that doesn't mean you had COVID. That means you've t- taken a useless test that proves nothing, and then were a bit ill for a few days, like having a little bit of a toxin clear out all the things yeah. that your body does once or twice every year, you know. And you can't, you can't catch someone else's bad health. You can't. There's been so many studies and, and tests done on whether you can transmit um, a virus, whatever you want to call it, um, through, you know, body fluids Germs, or whatever, yeah. or breathing or, you know. So have and, you and, changed and your mind, Jackie? Never... Sorry to interrupt you. Have you changed your mind on germ theory? Because I've interviewed a couple of people over the last two years who are proponents of terrain theory that um, yeah. it's not, you know, airborne germs. I mean, that's what this programme is for. And I challenge them and I ask them, you know, very interested in this. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Lowes, who's a great, great lady in Portugal, a nurse. Jenny is leaning towards, you know, her own research towards terrain theory. So have you changed your mind then over the last couple of years on how we get sick? I'd never even heard of terrain theory until uh, two years ago. Me neither. Um, but when I started <laughs> looking into it, it all made complete sense because there's too many questions that I've always had, always had hanging over germ theory. I mean, germ theory is something we're brainwashed with since birth. You know, don't touch that. You'll catch something, yeah. you know. Um, but don't you remember when you were a child and your mum took you to the doctor and you were feeling really ill and you were hoping for some days of school and the doctor would say, it's just a virus. There's nothing you can do about that. Go home 
and have some rest, drink lots of water and get lots of sleep. That's right. And you're like, oh, can't you give me some antibiotics or something? So I really do look ill, you know, and so I can show that, you know, show that solid proof that I'm ill. And the doctor would say, no, no, antibiotics don't work on a virus they're just a bacterial infection so off your trot you know and yeah. you're like, oh, i haven't got a proper illness it's just a virus and now all of a sudden in the last couple of years um we have vaccines <clears throat> in inverted commas um that can uh, stop you getting a virus which uh, that that can't possibly work because the virus is coming it's coming from within and the, the more you look into terrain theory just to me, anyway, the more sense it makes, you know, because it's, you've got questions like the germ theory. How come only one people in a house of five um, gets the lurgy, you know? I, you're yeah, absolutely spot- was right, they yeah. don't No, they don't. And, you know, I, I made that argument when I was being the devil's advocate with uh, the doctors who are terrain theory advocates. I said to them, you know, when I, whenever anybody was sick in the office, when I used to work in an office, I said I always came down with it too, and I drank different water, I ate different food at home. But the doctors had a good answer for me. They said to me, was everybody sick in the office, Richie? I'm like, nah, just one or two of us, or three maybe, in an office of maybe 20, 25. So, yes, I'm wide open to that, Jackie. Jackie Devi is on the line. Let me do this and then you come back in. Oh, yeah, do that again. <laughs> Let me do that again. Uh, Jackie's on the line. Jackie is a terrific journalist and documentary filmmaker. Um, you've, you've got to see a good death, question mark. Do go to iconic.com and check it out. It might be elsewhere. Jackie will tell us in a moment. Um, I'm looking at the time and I do want to talk with Jackie about something new that she's involved in where she'll be raising funds and it's of huge interest to you and me. So talk to us about that when you want. We've got till uh, six o'clock to chat, but I know you wanted to say something else there before I cut you off there. Yeah, yeah. I just want to link in the terrain theory thing with something that happened last September. Um, just before we were going to start filming A Good Death, um, I came down with something, you know, like a fluey type thing, but a weird selection of symptoms, but a snotty nose, you know, and a, a terrible cough. And it was like, oh, what bad timing. So I, we couldn't reschedule. So off I went in a car with three other people, snotting and coughing and blowing my nose and, and feeling terrible of temperature, you know, um, all squashed into a car with all the camera equipment and everything, driving all over the country for a week, going to people's houses, kissing them, hugging them, holding their hands, sitting next to them on the sofa, talking closely um, to them. And not one single person that I encountered got my lurgy. Not one. Not a single I one. I stopped filming during, during um, shoots. Um, to have coughing fits. I was that bad, you know. It was really, really uh, a bad timing. But I just thought, you know, I was confident that I wasn't going to make anyone ill because of I don't believe in, in the whole germ thing. And they were, most of them were confident as well. And no one got ill. You could speak to them all night. We had, we had five of them on last year, didn't we? We had um, yeah. Lorraine and Nissa and Michelle and Anna and Stuart um, on last June. Um, I met all them, you know, took their hands, kissed them on the cheek, gave them big hugs. Um, sat with them for hours on end. No one, no one got my lurgy, so I don't know what that was. And to think they told a generation of children you might kill your grandparents if you hug them, when you think of it like yeah. that in those terms, if you're right, and I'm not saying you are, but you might be right, and the doctors and nurses that I've discovered in the last couple of years who, as I said, are proponents of terrain theory, and these are qualified people, they might be right um, as well. Jackie Devoy is our guest. You... Um, you've got something going on 
and um, you'll uh-huh. require a bit of um, funding for it. Tell us what it's about, Jackie. It's a new film. Um, it's not a follow-up of a, a good death, although it's on a similar kind of subject. It's much broader. Um, I'm going to be looking into medical democide in the UK. So democide is death by government policy, so this is going to be quite heavy duty. So um, we're going to be looking at what policies are in place. Um, there's a variety of, of government policies that are harmful and that can cause um, devastation, destruction, injury and death. So I want to be looking at those, um, ranging from um, medical protocols um, that have a, a, a direct um, negative effect on a person or can actually kill them, such as the Madazalam, that will be included in one section of it, the Madazalam murders, which was um, which was uh, a directive direct, that came directly from Matt Hancock to the NHS in the form of, of, of a document called NG163, um, which has now disappeared, strangely. You can't find it anywhere on the internet. If you go, but luckily... Um, there are copies, shall we say, that that I can see. Has it um, been disappeared off, off the internet? Has it really? Well, the NG163 um, said that uh, COVID symptoms uh, in patients in hospitals across the UK should be treated with midazolam and morphine, right? which made no sense because, as we know, those drugs uh, depress the respiratory system and can kill. So um, no doctor would... Um, would say that was a good idea. So after this directive went out, um, people started to follow it, follow it and the, the main thing on that was to inject um, a person with 2.5 milligrams of, of midazolam uh, to help them with their COVID symptoms, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and 2.5 milligrams is a too big dose. Before, before this directive, you would start off at 0.1 milligrams or, or maybe 0.5, a very small amount, to see how the patient reacted to it. And then you'd titrate, so that whoever is administering it would, would increase the dose. You know what they do at the d- dentist, give you one little injection, and if it doesn't, it's not quite strong enough, they'll give you a bit more. So anyone who's naive to that p- particular drug, which most people are, meaning that they've not had it before, um, they need to you know, go in gently, you know, start with a little bit and a little bit more, because it's dangerous. If you, if you whack them with a great big dose, it, it could um, put them into a coma or kill them. So... Um, but this, this directive, NG163, said that um, that that was what, what the doctors and nurses were would have to do. Um, and I know several um, um, relatives of elderly people who were, were killed with the 2.5 milligrams. So, um, so it's horrendous. If you go to the government website now and look up NG163, you'll get directed to NG191, which is the new directive, which doesn't mention Medazlam as far as I can see. I was just looking at it today. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's one such uh, medical protocol. But there are many more. There are secret drug trials going on. I'm going to be um, looking into to those. Uh, and when they went on, I'm, I'm going to be looking back over the last 50 years, I think. It's got to have some kind of uh, limit yeah. on it. But I think it's been going on for a lot, long, lot longer than that. Um, and uh, I'll be talking to people as well who have been directly affected. I've been, I'm going to be talking to a woman whose child was killed in, in, a, in a trial for a drug um, that she was unknowingly part of. And uh, a woman who lost a baby. I've, I'm talking to um, people who've lost, lost loved ones to, to Madazlam and, and who've lost loved ones to even 
sort of nil by mouth protocol. You know, when, when, and these are quite often done behind closed doors where someone is not given water or food and they die of, of, of thirst, they, they die of dehydration. And there's, there's a lot of these, um, these protocols stem from government policy. So that's what the new film is going to be about. And what I want to do with it is raise awareness, because I think, I think most people in Britain will not have even heard no, of the word genocide. Know. And you know, the, so, if, you, if you leave Midazolam to one side, uh, just for a minute, those other stories you'll be covering, the child who died in the drug trial and the other stories, presumably these are stories that were again ignored by, by the, you know, by the media. These, these people, these, these, yeah. these have not been picked up, basically. Yeah. I think some of, some of the stories that I'll be covering, they have been picked up by the media in the past. Because, because in the past, they weren't so reluctant to publish this, this kind of thing as they are now. So, yeah, the, 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 the person who lost their, their child, this was back in 1978. So, um, and the child was 12 years old, and it's a, it's a really tragic story. And, and her mother has spent her whole life since then. She's now 87, I think. She spent her whole life trying to get justice for, for her daughter. And this is what happens with, the, with these tragedies. It's, it's the ripple effect you know, on, the, on the families and everyone around them. Not only does the person die or get severely injured, but the whole family, their yeah. whole lives change. And n- nothing feels right again, you know. And there's, there's Until like, they get some justice. Them, yeah. And the mother wasn't yeah, aware that the, the, the child was subject to this. Sorry, Jackie. The mother Sorry, wasn't no. the mother wasn't aware that the child was was involved in this medical in this drug trial. No, no, and the drug killed her. Well, that's more. So, isn't um, it? yeah, I mean, at this moment in time, I've kind of got all the people lined up that I want to speak to. I've got amazing experts as well. I've got the amazing Dr. Kevin Corbett. He's going to be involved. Um, I've got a really good team um, who are are um, very good experienced filmmakers um it's only a small team and ideally you know to make the film we do need a bit of funding yeah. just to, to to cover the costs and to, and to make sure that we can get it distributed far and wide because once awareness has been established then um then we can start doing something about it you know we need people to, to be up in arms about this and, and not accept it because because most people don't know about it, but the people who do know about it seem to think it's all right. You know, oh, the government are looking after us. It's that old thing. They must, you know. Yeah, yeah. So why, why wouldn't they? Us. And, and we've also got the whole, it's all for the greater good. You know, of course we've got to do, do drug trials on people. And of course we can't tell them because if we tell them, they won't want to be guinea pigs, you know. So um, they've always got an excuse and a re- reason. But um, And the COVID jobs sure. are one massive global drug trial, aren't they? The mRNA yeah, yeah. jabs are one big massive drug well. trial and they coerce people. So so I, this, want to include, the, yeah. Yeah, I want to include um, a, a death from, from that as well. I've been talking to a man recently whose wife died after she had the AstraZeneca jab. She was 34. They've got two small children. She died. They've had an inquest and amazingly, the inquest said that, she, that the vaccine killed her. And... So that I think great. That's all. That's all they wanted last year. The papers. When I was pitching stories, they said we need proof. You know, we need something in writing that that, that the jab has killed the person that you're talking about. Um, and I did have it on the death certificate. Now this man has got both. So I took his story 
to the mainstream papers again, and they're like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Depends, depends if you can get some good quotes out of him. And I'm like, what? It depends on yeah, if you can get some good quotes from the man. Yeah. His wife yeah. has been killed by a jab. Like, they should be all over this. This yeah. is important news. This is in the yeah. public, it's in the interest of the public to know this. Yeah. It's disgusting, it Jackie. And I'm, in, I'm in, getting increasingly unpopular with all the editors that well, yeah, Of course you are. I yeah. don't care. I don't care. It means I've earned no money this year at all. I'm not whinging. But, um, You've not earned this year but, you know, so far. No. But, well, part of me doesn't even want to work for them anymore. But part of me wants to get stories out in the mainstream because the people who read those papers, the people That's who don't like, know about exactly, any of this kind of exactly. stuff need to know. So I'm, you know, torn all the time. I, I, send them pitch, I send the pitch to the Telegraph last week. They just ignored me. Unless she's away on holiday, I don't know. But... Um, it was a pitch about um, the number of, of elderly people who were killed over the last two years using a, a frailty score. And this is like just a box ticking exercise. A frailty score. Person, you so mentioned this today, a frailty a frail score. score. Yeah. Wow. So if you score over five or eight, I can't remember what the actual number is, you're, you're put on end of life pathway. They call it the end of life care pathway, which is a bit of a contradiction. End of life death pathway, I call it a death pathway. So where you're given the cocktail of uh, end-of-life drugs, you're put on nil by mouth, you have all your so-called good medication withdrawn, and you're killed, basically, because a doctor has deemed uh, you to be at the end of your life. Hang on now, hang um, on. Otherwise, so, otherwise you would have lived for God knows how long. You could have gone on and lived... It might have been another five minutes, but it might have but been... But it could have been 10 weeks or 10 care. years, right, okay. And they, they, they do a frailty score... On the on the patient, and whichever score they get, that that then determines if they're put on the end of life. But you see, I know this is going on, but I know listeners are listening to this and are saying no way, and I know it's going on because most, you've proved it's going on. The most shocking thing, yeah, the most the most shocking thing about that particular story is they've suddenly realised that this path, this um, frailty score system. Uh, it's it's um it's, it's faulty, you know. So it's now under review, so they're not doing it anymore. It's like, oh, that's brilliant news, but what about the thousands of people you've just killed using it? It's absolutely unbelievable. This is an important film you're going to make, and it's amazing you're talking to me about it today, when the Times ran uh, a very good bit of investigative journalism today in the Times, showing that some hospitals in this country are so dilapidated, Jackie. The dilapidation, the rundown state of the hospital is killing patients mm -hmm. in the Times. How yeah. timely to be talking to you. We've got about two minutes left. You need funding. Um, if you wrote something up, um, I, I know I'd be happy. I know the Ikes obviously would be happy. Um, great supporters of yours as well. Uh, to put it on our websites, I'd definitely put it on richieallen.co.uk. Um, where do people need to go uh, to, 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 to give you a few okay. bucks towards this? Okay, it's um, the film's going to be called Playing God, um, and uh, it's in a nutshell. I, I just want to, you know, say that it's an investigation into medical democide in the UK over the last fifty years. Um, we're on Twitter. Look up Playing God UK. That's our Twitter handle. We're on Facebook, Playing God. We're on Instagram, Playing God UK. Um, you can find the crowdfunder link on all those social media platforms. Um, and I'll send you uh, the, the www 
um, crowdfunder link as well, so you can pop that on on your site. Well done, Jackie. Listen, um, I'm a, I'm 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 a hard old bastard. You know that, and I don't do soft talk. <laughs> I don't do soft talk. Um, you're about the last great journalist in this country. You're about the last one. <laughs> Thank you. No, but you, I'm probably the only one without a computer at the moment as well. You I need a laptop, need don't you? Computer. You might be able to. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's just falling apart at the seams, and I'm doing everything on my phone at the moment. But anyway. But you never win. You never win. Playing God, folks. Find it Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You've been listening to Jackie Devi. Support the development and the production of that new film. Medazalam was very important. I'm absolutely convinced. Excuse me. A good death was incredibly important, and I know that film saved lives. I know it did. I know that that film getting out there led to some people saying, "Well, hang on a second, Dad." is in hospital and they've got him on this do not resuscitate. Let's have a look. I know yeah. that, Jackie. I know it saved lives. Yeah. So well done. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we'll talk thank again you. real soon. Thanks for your time today. Yeah. Thank you very much, Richie, for having me and I'll speak to you again soon. Anytime. And I'm going to play a song that Jackie is very much, um, uh, she loves. It's a song by the great Richard Ashcroft. Um, of these parts, by the way, it's called Music is Power. Let's have a listen to that. Uh, thanks again to Jackie. I'll be speaking with Michael Rachia shortly. And I know just as with Jackie, there's a lot of interest in Michael. So here's Music is Power by Richard Ashcroft. The album is Keys to the World from uh, Richard Ashcroft, 2006. The song is Music is Power. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's live from BBG Towers in Salford. I'm Richie Allen. It's lovely to be with you this Tuesday. Isn't Jackie Devoy a little bit special, isn't she? Eh? They don't make him like Jackie Devoy anymore. Terrific woman. Do go and support uh, the production of uh, Playing God if you can. I'll be putting my money where my mouth is and making a contribution uh, to it. Um, If not tonight, first think tomorrow. And if I don't, Jackie will go online and say that lying Baxtered. <laughs> but I will. Craig makes a very good point, does Craig. Terrain theory versus germ theory. Another binary choice argument, says Craig, you curmudgeonly little bollocks. No, he's not. He's right. He's right. Why not a harmful build-up of excessive microbials? Microbials. I can never say that word. Microbials. Why not a harmful build-up of excessive microbials because of environmental factors? He's right. He's, he's right. That should be considered. Well said, Craig. Well said. Chris says, My sister working a care home in Yorkshire saw residents returned to the home with end of life on them. Some of them are fine. They had dementia. They uh, got up and they recovered. Others died as the staff were scared to get near them. That, Chris, is interesting. It's very sad. Of course, it must be true that people working in care homes and even in hospitals must have been scared stiff by the government COVID propaganda. And therefore, it stands to reason. They might have believed that they themselves were in great danger from germs and from the old people, God love them, coming out of the hospitals. And maybe some were reluctant to get too close to the senior citizens for fear they might catch COVID. Yeah, 
I can buy that. Uh, the time is five and a half minutes past the hour. You're with the Richie Allen Show. I've said that already. You can comment on the programme. It's very easy to do so. Go to comment live on the website richieallen.co.uk. Leave your comments there and do interact with others and do that. Do it always uh, in a nice way. Um, very interested in not just my next guest, but in uh, the subject matter, in in the, I suppose, his field of expertise, his field of research. I've become increasingly interested in this, as you know, in the last couple of years. Um, before we introduce Michael, uh, he's written a series of books called The Joseph Communications. And those books are based on guidance, knowledge and information given to my guest by a spirit or an entity or energy that Michael knows as Joseph. I'm so glad that my great friend Maria Heller introduced me uh, to this work because I think it's very important now more than ever. Um, my guest is very interested in communicating with spirit, um, with uh, energies. Not just to prove that life after death is, is a reality, that life after death is real and is waiting for us, but also how you can interact and communicate with, uh, with a spirit or spirits to learn how to improve life in this reality. Delighted to be joined this afternoon, this evening, by Michael Rachia. Michael, you're very welcome to the programme. How are you? Thank you, Richie. I'm fine. How are you? I'm great. And you aren't you a magnanimous guy? Michael was supposed to be on the show last week, dear listener, but I messed up the booking. And uh, <laughs> Michael could have been a proper diva if he if he had wanted to be, but he he wasn't. He was a proper gentleman, and he said, "Don't worry about it. We'll deal with this week." Uh, thank God you were. I've been digging into your background. You must have felt my presence. I've been digging in. I've been reading. I've been trying to uncover stuff. Not really. Oh my goodness. No, not really. I wanted to find out a little bit about you, and what I did find out right. was. This interest, not interest, your life's work went goes right back to when you were a child. Um, yes. Because you had an interesting, uh, you'll tell us the story, but when you were a kid you became interested in dying, death and what comes next. T tell us about that, Michael. Yes, I was, I was a strange child, Richie. Uh, when other kids were playing football and playing cricket and playing outside, I, I became uh, obsessed at times by the fact that I was going to die. Uh, now, that's not something that a five or six-year-old normally does, but I did. Uh, and I, I thought to myself, what's the point of me doing anything because I'm eventually going to die? And this, this black depression would come over me. And then I'd, I'd fight it off and I'd have a few months of uh, normality. Uh, and then it would come back. But that was tied in with um, extraordinary occurrences in my young life that I didn't understand. For example, I would have very specific dreams, sometimes about trivial things. For example, tomorrow morning you are going to have a parcel and a letter arrive, and that would happen. Or tomorrow morning your aunt and uncle that you haven't seen for years because they travel the world because he's in the Air Force will uh, turn up on your doorstep, and they did. Uh, sometimes I would wake up in the morning and see a figure sitting in my bedroom chair that would slowly fade away. Uh, I pick up atmospheres from places, uh, good and bad, and not understand that either, and not understand why sometimes I wanted to get out of, of, of somewhere at all costs, didn't want to be in a building that I hadn't been in before. 
Um, I was extremely sensitive and extremely shy. If you looked at me, I would blush and, and didn't realize that this sensitivity was a sensitivity to alternate vibrations, if you like, to higher vibrations. Uh, and it wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that it was explained to me that I wasn't mad, I was mediumistic. Uh, and that if I wished to, I could develop this gift to hopefully help others to better understand themselves and to live a more holistic life, realizing who and what they really are. Now, now, this is fascinating. So, until your 20s, did you consider, did you think to yourself, there must be something wrong with me? And did you look into that? You did. So you did. Yeah, I thought I was completely mad. And I think my parents, who were very loving and very kind towards me, uh, didn't know what to do with their wayward son. Right. Uh, the, the, the son that reacted so strangely and so differently to other children. Uh, so, yes, I thought there was something wrong. But as, as time went on, I, I, I began to realize that I was psychic. Uh, I researched a little bit and thought, well, I'm psychic. But I didn't know what to do with it. And I certainly didn't know how to control it. And my life until my early 20s was at the mercy of chaos, shall we say. Right. But then as soon as I connected to my mission, if you like, in life, things began to make sense. And I was put in the driving seat of my life for the first time. And I took control of my life for the first time. And I made progress for the first time, all because I was uh, suddenly who I was supposed to be and understood what was happening to me. I can imagine there was a great peace came over you when that, when that happened. Yes, it, it, was, it was a long uh, process. Uh, it, it first happened to me via an aunt in Blackpool, uh, near the seaside, of course, the seaside, of course. And uh, I went there during a traumatic event in my life because I needed somewhere to go. My nerves were bad. And on the Saturday night, my aunt and uncle, who I knew uh, were spiritualists, said, do you want to come with us to the spiritualist church? Now, at that time, I was a staunch Catholic. Uh, and I thought, no, this is evil. This is the devil's work. I can't go. Right. But my nerves were in such a state that I couldn't stay at home alone in the house. And so I found myself uh, being shepherded, my aunt on one side, my uncle on the other, into a very pleasant room uh, that was filled with old ladies who were uh, offering cups of tea and cakes. And then a, a lady medium took the platform, took to the platform. And I thought, well, ev- either she's been through everyone's wallets and handbags prior to, to getting onto that platform, <laughs> yeah. or something's happening yeah. here that I don't understand. And she began to uh, talk to members of the congregation, audience, and she came to me. And she said, within five years, you'll be doing what I'm doing. Did and she know? said, you'll be a medium that other mediums will look up to. And I was shocked, but there was something within me that knew that what she was saying was correct. And that started me off on the path. That's what started you off. You're listening to Michael Rachia. We're going to be talking about the Joseph Communications. The website is thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Michael has been explaining 
fascinating this on, on, on what happened to him when he was a child, his interest in death, those experiences he had, seeing energies in, in his bedroom, figures in chairs, knowing things or being told that things would happen. Um, and then they, they, they happened, feeling there was something wrong with him for many years, only to discover that, of course, there wasn't anything wrong with him, that he had a talent or, or, or a gift, um, uh, if you want to put it like like that. And when so this this lady says right michael it's going to be you then um you you yeah. you you're going to, to 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 make this journey you're going to take these steps did you become more sensitive i've always i've never asked this of anybody like yourself did, did, as you got older did you become more sensitive to energies and to things I happening be, uh, well uh, i began to join the dots from that point right. onwards and the, the next stage was to uh, contact, I didn't know it was going to happen, was to contact my spiritual teacher. So having been told that I was mediumistic, I began to visit various uh, spiritualist churches, because that was the only place where you could see mediums operate, and to make my own mind up as to whether some mediums were good, some mediums were not so good, whether this church was for me, this yeah. church was not for me. And uh, I, I visited a, a church in Great Harwood in Lancashire, and a very stern-looking gentleman, as I was sitting in the audience, came up to me and said, uh, would you like to be in my circle? And uh, I very timorously said, well, I'm not sure what to expect. And he said, well, me. <laughs> every, every Wednesday. Come and, come and sit. It's an open circle. Come and sit, and you can help develop. <laughs> and so I, I went to this circle on a number of Wednesdays, and, and Bruce, were it, for it was he, uh, an ex-naval man, and a very straightforward medium, who, had he not got anything to say to anyone, would say, I've nothing tonight, so that's it, folks, we're going home. He was, he was superbly honest. During one of his sessions, or, or after one of his sessions, I looked across, and various different people would come on different nights. And there was a lady sitting opposite me, and I thought, I know you, you're a nurse. And I'd never seen this lady physically before in my life. And over a cup of tea, we got to talking, uh, and uh, it, it, she invited me to her home to meet her husband. And she said, look, you've got a gift. She said, if you want to develop this gift to help others, then I will sit with you. Uh, but you, once, you have to understand that once you place your feet on this path, you can't take them off again. It's a lifetime commitment. It's a sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice. Now, do you want to do it? But the other thing was, I discovered, as she told me about her life, that she had been a nurse during the Second World War. And there was this instant reconnection with somebody that I'd known beyond this life. And I sat with Joan for seven years. I was working for an advertising agency at the time. So every Sunday afternoon, I would go and sit in her front room. And she taught me how to meditate. She taught me how to tune in. And the amazing thing was that when I started to see uh, higher vibrations, when I started to communicate with discarnate spirits, it was arranged so that I could begin a message, I could begin a narrative, hand over to Joan, she would see the same thing, hand back over to me, and I would round off the message. We saw the same people. We heard the same voices. And you can imagine how that boosted my confidence in what I could do. That, and and it, it, it rubber-stamped the fact that you weren't unwell. 
I mean, that's very important. I mean, because that yeah. stuff lingers, doesn't it? I mean, you'd made your peace with all that, but it still lingers. I mean, you still have the occasional thought, well, what's really going on here? Because it, I don't know very much about this. I'm very open to it. I, I, used, yeah. I used not to be open to it. I was never rude, but I had no interest in it. I didn't believe it. Um, I'm wide open now to learning about it and listening uh, to people like yourself, because I believe you to be sincere. You, you, you know, I know some energy healers and I've met, I've met one or two mediums. But but yeah. I'm not being negative now. Don't think I am. But I've got to address this elephant because my listeners Absolutely. will kill me if I don't. Um, what you do and, and people like you, I, I think you do. You, you, you've got the ability to do special things and you do. But what you do, I think, is also blighted by charlatans, isn't it? Absolutely. This is a big issue. A cold readers that um, that do this. And, as in, yeah, yeah. As in, as in religion, and I'm not a religious person. I like to yeah. think of myself as a spiritual person, but I'm not a religious person. And in religion, you have you know you have good ministers, you have not so good ministers, and it is open to uh, misinterpretation. Uh, but I I built up evidence for myself in that when I was ready, John said, "Well, why don't you?" take a church service and why don't you sit with people now i didn't charge them anything richie yeah. I, I must emphasize that with the joseph communications books yes the books cost money but the money from the books goes back into reprinting the books and advertising the books and making people more aware of the communications message we do not take anything personally i was going Never to mention have. that i was going to mention it several times because it's important that's an important yeah. thing it's not about money and th- thanks yes. for mentioning it but i was going due diligence i was going to say it anyway that the oh, books you. th- that you're not making money out of the books or your team and we're, we're going to come to the books in a moment it's uh, 19 minutes past 6 Michael Rachia is our guest um, t- to say there's big interest in this is an understatement go to the website richieallen.co.uk lots of comments coming in emails as well questions nice comments from Michael we'll get to uh, to, uh, to some of those how amazing you and Joan hearing and feeling the same things and you mentioned you know you, you, it, it came to you was communicated to you that Joan was a nurse um, she'd worked as a nurse in the Second World War but you also hinted at you believe that in other lifetimes you and Joan knew one another Yes, I mean I, I only have a handful of experiences that I've accessed to consciously from past lives but the, the most amazing thing is that we, we have incarnated together at least three times Now I remember being in Egypt with her as a woman And I remember having uh, my left arm wouldn't work. Now, until I was in my early 20s, I had problems with my left arm in this life. And we were seers in that life. But we were seers in a temple. We were seers uh, on behalf of authority. I don't know what that authority was. But I remember being in this gloom in this temple and seeing channels in the floor that carried water which didn't make any sense to me. There were stone troughs on the floor that carried water. Now, years later, after this experience, I saw a documentary on Egypt, and a a chap was talking about, an archaeologist was talking about a temple, and said that, well, they had channels in the temple that carried water to certain points. 
Now, that was astounding enough, but the, 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 the most vivid recollection I have of the life with Joan is when we were both in Germany. And the thing that made this true for me is that as I related part of what I could remember, again, she followed on with what she could remember. And we could remember details down to the actual furnishings and uh, uh, curtains that we had in this house. And we lived in a, a splendid house. I did uh, far better for myself in that particular <laughs> life than I, than I have in this life, Richie. But Michael, how and do you cope we, with that? I mean, how do you deal with such uh, a realisation that you're present in the present with a lady and yeah. you know because you share experiences that, you know, that this has happened? Germany, I mean, how do you cope with that? I mean, is that a joyous thing? Is it a wonderment thing? Or is it a bit spooky, you know, on one level? I wouldn't call it spooky. I think it's a natural development of where our journey was was taking us. And uh, also part of a realization that we often reincarnate with members of a soul family. Right. In other words, we, we reincarnate with people that we've been with before in order to work out certain experiences and to learn in certain ways and to evolve in certain ways. So it, it didn't spook me. I think what, what uh, spooked me was the level of detail in this particular memory in that I remember that we both came out of the house uh, on a particular day and we had three children. And uh, we, there was a horse. We had a, a horse and uh, carriage, horses and carriage, actually. We got into this carriage and we set off and we were in a high location going down the side of a mountain with trees on one side and a, a drop and on the other side uh, rocks. Uh, and there was a storm, a sudden storm. And there was a lightning flash and it spooked the horses and they reared up and the us and the cart and the horses tumbled down this ravine and ended up in the woodland at the bottom. And I remember to this day getting up and Joan getting up behind me and the three children getting up behind us. And I looked at her and I said, oh, we're dead. <laughs> and then there was a bright light and that's all I remember. And that's all you remember. And then, that, but, sorry, go ahead, Michael. Yes, of that particular incident. Yes, yeah. And then it's on to a new incarnation. Is that what you believe? And we're going to talk about the Joseph Communications right now and how you came to, to meet Joseph and who Joseph is. Um, I can't wait for you to talk about that. But um, is, is that how, I mean, are we all having these experiences, all of us? And is there some barrier preventing us from understanding that? Because I haven't had the experiences you've had. I'd love to. I'm wide open to, to, the, to the possibility that I've had several incarnations, you know, different times, different time periods, different times in history. But I have no feeling of that. I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. Are we all experiencing this? Do you think? We are experiencing, but there's a greater tale with reincarnation, and that moves on to the connection with Joseph. Because as I... Uh, began working as a medium, it quickly became apparent that the same personalities, the same people, were very often turning up at the same church services year in, year out. And so I used to serve over 50 churches across the country, and I would do two services per church per year. And very often I would go to the same churches and the same people would be there. 
and you would talk to them about spirituality and you would talk to them about the meaning of their life and who they really were and why they were here. Uh, but you would see them sit up and pay attention the minute that you started uh, a clairvoyant session. That's what they wanted. They wanted the messages. And that always upset me because, yes, it's fine uh, for one person if, for example, you tell them that their grandfather knows they haven't painted the garden fence yet. <laughs> but that's, that's a message and a trivia for one person. And I thought there must be more to this. If communication is coming to me, where is it coming from? Yes. Why does it happen? What's the purpose behind it? And that was always my quest to, to answer those questions for myself and then hopefully on behalf of uh, others. And I became so tired uh, because in my particular case, it takes a lot of energy to do what I do. I became so tired at two points during my mediumship that I actually stopped. I thought, this is pointless. I mean, I had people coming to my home. I had people, I was booked up two to three months in advance. Uh, I would have people ringing me at all times of day and night saying, well, you told me this and now I'm standing. For example, someone once, I, I was once given three uh, letters, three digits from a registration number uh, for a new car for someone. Someone was saying, look, you're about to buy a new car. Here are three digits from the registration number. Later that day, the lady rang me up. She'd already had three quarters of an hour a session with me. And uh, she said, I'm standing in a garage. There are two cars here. They both have the same three digits. Which one should I choose? <laughs> and I thought, this is not yeah. what it's about. It's not about that, yeah. yeah. It's not about that. And so uh, the, the path to, to Joseph came about because I thought that I knew everything about Joan and she knew everything about me. She was like a second mother. Her husband was like a second father to me. And then one day a great sadness came across her and she said that she had um, gone into trance. I'd never realized that she'd been a trans medium and that her best friend at the time had written down by hand these amazing messages that had come through about life, the universe, and everything. And her friend had unexpectedly died. And at her funeral, she'd asked her friend's daughter if she could have that handwritten book of notes. And the daughter, who was part of a particular uh, clique religion, said, no, this is the work of the devil, a devil. I've thrown it on the back of the fire. Morris. And Joan was at a loss and had been for many years because she felt that that information had been lost. Now, by that point, I'd been working professionally as a medium for a number of years. And I thought, hang on a minute. I don't think it is lost. I think I can connect with the communicator and I think I can bring it through again. Uh, and so a, a, a friend of mine, a, a member of what Joseph describes as the band of light, there are four of us. There's myself, my life partner, Jane, uh, David, and Tony. And David had wanted to be part of a spiritual project for a long, long time. And so I said, look, we have an opportunity, I think, to connect with whoever Joan was talking to and to bring through this higher vibrational information on behalf of humanity. Shall we try? We were both working at the time, so when we could, and sometimes it was only once every two or three months, uh, we would go up into his attic, <laughs> turn the lights off, put a cassette in the recorder, and I would attempt to tune in. And on the first occasion, there was a lot of grunting from me because I wasn't used to working with this person. Uh, but at the end of the session, I was absolutely exhausted, but we, we had a chapter. 
every time Joseph came through, he delivered a complete chapter for one of his books. Word perfect, apart from the initial grunting, which was my fault. And we looked at each other and thought, this has got to get out somehow. This is, is of great importance to humanity. Uh, and so I then got together with my life partner, and there were three of us, and there was more power available, and we sat regularly, and pretty soon we had the first book, Revelation. And we thought, well, we've got a book, but we're a, a little fish in a, a very big pond. How are we going to get this book out? And we were told from the personalities on the other side, as it were, look, don't you worry about that. Get it published. Leave the distribution to us. And so in faith, we, we published the first book. And then we sat there with a pile of books. And in the first two weeks, we sold two books. <laughs> and we thought, what on earth have What's we done? What's going on, yeah. But then uh, we, we connected with Tony, who has a fabulous place in Lancashire called the Sanctuary of Healing. And he said, why don't you, uh, he got hold of one of our books. Somebody gave him one of our books. And he kept nudging his wife. He read it all one night and kept nudging his wife and saying, Sheila, this is amazing. And what's even more amazing is that these people are just down the road. And so he invited us in. And we decided between us that we would give credence to what was happening by taking Joseph on the road, as it were, and by holding public trans demonstrations at which people could ask questions of Joseph. Because for all people knew, we could have been making all this stuff up in a little room somewhere and typing it out and churning it out and publishing it. So we, we held a number of public trans demonstrations. And Joseph, I would stand up. Now, my legs were locked in, into position from the moment that I stood up to the moment I sat down. I'd close my eyes, I'd take one breath as Michael, the next breath as Joseph, and he would talk for an hour and a half to an hour and three quarters. Michael, hang on. A friend now. of mine hang I invited. On. Michael, to, hang on, hang on. Sorry. This is mind blowing to me. What yeah. does that feel like? That it, first of all, it's mind. I've never spoken to anybody who's had this experience that, that the books have come through. Joseph, through Joseph, who is no longer with us, he's an energy, he's a spirit. And so many things to ask you about that. There's going to have to be a part two of this conversation, of course, with your permission, because this is Absolutely. amazing. But Michael, please describe the physicality. When you are in trance and Joseph is using Michael to communicate, where do you go? What happens? It's, it's very weird and very difficult to describe. Uh, I used to think when, it, when all this began that I, I, I would, as it were, feel these words coming out of my mouth. I would think, at any time, Michael, you can intercept this and you can stop it. And on several occasions, I attempted to do so and then realized that I couldn't. I could not regain control of my voice box and my movements and it feels it's sort of like being in a dream. At times, I would be standing behind myself, uh, looking over my own shoulder. But the first time, I, I was very wary of being taken into trance. I was invited to do trance work, and I thought, I don't like the sound of this. I'm going to lose consciousness, and I don't like losing consciousness. Yeah, who does, yeah. And the first time I was taken into trance was not by Joseph, but by one of the other personalities from the soul group that Joseph is a part of. And we were driving back from a holiday. Fortunately, uh, Jane was driving, and I was suddenly taken over, and I found myself not sitting in a car, but standing in a beautiful cathedral, looking up at this wonderful vaulted ceiling. 
And uh, I, I looked ahead, uh, and at the same time as this was happening to me, someone was talking through me to Jane. And I looked ahead in this cathedral, and there was a statue of an angel, a tall statue of an angel on a plinth. But as I looked at it, it was moving. It was alive, and I was fascinated. And behind the angel, uh, to the left and to the right, were two doors. And I knew that if I went through the door on the left, I'd go. I would die. I'd be gone. But there was a feeling of bliss and a, a magnetism towards this door. I thought, well, if this is dying, there's nothing to it. It's like falling off a log. Here we go. And so I, I, I wandered over towards this left door. And at the moment that I reached it, in the car, the person who was speaking to Jane said, just a minute, Michael's going somewhere he shouldn't go. And in my vision, he suddenly turned up in front of me and said with a, a raised eyebrow, where do you think you're going? And I said, well, I'm going through that door. And he said, no, you're not. Turn around. It's not your time to go through there yet. And so I turned around, and then he completed his um, address to Jane. And then I was taken out of trance, and I found myself back in the car, very woozy, and then was instantly taken into trance again by another member of, the, of Joseph's soul group. And this time I found myself on a grassy bank, uh, beautiful, beautiful flowers, this grassy bank, and I was looking across a valley towards very beautiful buildings. There was a purple building in the distance, and it was turning slowly in the overall sunlight, is the only way I can describe it. And as it turned, I could see that the parts of it weren't connected, and yet it was a, a whole building. It was just rotating slowly in the sun. Something in and the I future, sat, maybe. Something in the future. Were, were you some place that has yet to, to materialise, maybe? Something futuristic. I, I, think I, was, I think I was in one of the spiritual realities. Right. I don't think it was Earth at all. I think it was a higher vibration, uh, having, having seen those realities yeah. on a number of occasions since. And did you feel, do you feel bliss when you're in that situation? Like when you're in... Yes, the, you do. Right, it's a blissful you experience, right? You, you feel a blissful experience and you feel a peace. Uh, and whenever there's a communication with the, the, the members of the soul group, this peace descends. And there is a, a permanence to life that you don't get with your normal, with your ordinary five senses. There's a feeling that we are immortal. We are eternal. We are infinite. It's just that we've forgotten these things and shoehorned ourselves into this physical existence and believe that this physical existence is, is all there is. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've lived, but well, I did live most of my life with that in mind, that what you can see and feel and taste and smell and touch, that's about all there is. And I would have been, yeah. as I said, very reluctant to even consider other possibilities. But then I've had experiences which have made me think, long and hard and, and think again let me just mention a couple of things now I'll ask Michael to come back and talk about Joseph's messages in the books in, uh, in, in, in the near future say in a couple of weeks if Michael will come back and do that with his permission because we are going to run out of time today we've got probably 15 minutes left I'd like to stay with trance I've got a couple of questions that you might find a bit childish but I'll ask them anyway You're, okay. I, 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 there's no such thing as a bad question at least that's uh, that's what I think Michael Rachia is our guest folks do go and check out the josephcommunications.co.uk so glad that Maria made the connection because I've not heard um, you know a, a story or an experience like this before to
to be given a series of messages, um, detailed messages and guidance from from Joseph, his spirit, and for the group to be able to um, to, to to take all that down while Joseph is communicating through Michael. This is really really interesting stuff. Let me just mention a couple of quick comments there before I ask you what I wanted to ask you. Um, yeah. Patricia says you're a beautiful person. I've read every single one of Michael's books and they are truly life changing. I highly recommend all of them. Uh, Isabel says, Michael mentioned, Richie, something very interesting about his left arm, that he had issues with it in this life and in a previous life. Would you ask Michael if he believes that medical issues like asthma and phobias are in fact related to previous lives? Now, I love this concept that in a previous life, Michael, uh, you know, God forbid, but in a previous life or spirit forbid, that I drowned maybe. Maybe I drowned, maybe I was uh, in, in the Navy and then maybe I, I have a fear of water in this life. No, I don't, but, but just that possibility, you know. Is she right? Uh, it's, it's very strange that you should mention that, Richie, because that exact phobia came up many years ago in uh, a reading that I was holding for a, a, a young lady. And uh, the spirit who was communicating with her said she is frightened of water. So I said, are you frightened of water? They're telling me that you are. And she said, yes, I'm terrified. And he said, she was in a submarine. She was in a submarine in a previous life, and the submarine went down, and she was trapped, and she couldn't get out. And will you explain that to her? Because that knowledge, hopefully, will take away that phobia in, in this life. Now, we've all got phobias. I've, I've got so many, I, ca- I can't mention them all, <laughs> Richie. And I think that's to do with my sensitivity, you know, to, to other vibrations. Uh, but on occasion, yes, uh, the, the severe things that happen to us are echoes of the past. Uh, because as Joseph says, when we, when we come back into this world, the, if you like karma, now that's a vast subject, but the, the traits that we have put into the uh, atmosphere via our previous lives are still there. We haven't cleared them away. And they have a magnetic quality to them, as does our particular vibration. Our individual vibration, there's no other vibration quite like it. And our vibration attracts similar vibrations. So when we come back here, clustering around us are the vestiges of things that have happened to us in the past that have not been resolved or put to rest, as it were. And so it's a bit of a dangerous passage coming here, which is something we can perhaps uh, comment on the next time around. But we do attract tendencies from our own past and unsolved situations from our own past and unsolved, um, what can I say, uh, trends from our own past the minute that we reincarnate here. So, and as we grow older and our energies grow less vital on this level, then those tendencies, uh, it's easier for those tendencies to cluster around us and to have an effect on us. But we can do something about it. We can negate them, but we have to understand that they're there. Now, that's fascinating. I did a TV gig years ago and I was introduced to um, a medium who I found to be very sincere um, I have to say, looking into your background today and digging up all that dirt that I didn't manage to find. And of course, I wasn't doing that. I was um, just looking, you know, for some background we could talk about and stuff. But, um, I, I, you know, and, and I trusted him. And he knew nothing about me. And, and I, I had never spoken about this to anybody. And he said to me, um, 
you are a strange one, you, he said, Richie, being a very tall guy. You have a real serious fear of heights, don't you, he said to me. And he said, um, you were on holiday somewhere, he said, I think it might have been Germany. And you had a bad experience. And I did, um, I went to, to Munich and I went to that big communications tower in Munich, which is a tourist attraction. And I hate heights and I got to the top of it and had a bit of a panic attack and very embarrassing when you're a big, ugly, baldy, tall guy like me. But, uh, but he knew that. And he said, I can't quite figure it out. He said, I don't have the actual information. I'm not getting it, he said. But wouldn't be surprised, he said, Richie, if, um, you know, in, in a previous incarnation that maybe there was something, maybe you fell from a great height, maybe, or maybe you're in a, you know, a plane crash or, or, or God knows what. And I thought, wow. And that's, you, you know, it was, it was very... Um, revealing that for me is very interesting to me and again of course being a sceptic I, I, I tried to figure out how and who told him and, but of course nobody told him he he intuitively knew that Michael Rachie is our guest let me read some nice comments from people and then I'll ask you about spirit and um, you know this uh, trance because I was going to ask you is permission sought from um, the physical person because that's an interesting one. I'll ask you about that in a moment. Keely says, fascinating, Richie, uh, is Michael. I have a friend who channeled a, a book via her spirit guide. That's very interesting. It's called The Spirit of Life in Ibiza. Most of it is, in, most of it is written in rhyme relating to current events. Uh, she wrote the book five years ago. Kay says, I'm loving the chat with Michael. I thought I was imagining uh, seeing figures until I started describing to my neighbour. I described to my neighbour a woman that floated through my lounge one day and disappeared into the wall. Before I could finish the description, my neighbour finished off uh, the conversation by saying, I'm delighted because uh, I've seen the same woman and I haven't seen her for a few years. How amazing. What, a, what an experience that is. And uh, Cookie says, I heard that how you die goes with you. So what is happening now to our elderly uh, in such pain, they might take it with them. And just to finish off the comments, a very good friend of the programmes, um, energy healer called Peter Ebden, former war snooker champion, gentleman and a scholar. He says, uh, fascinated listening to Michael, says uh, Peter. Uh, he might, um, if he hasn't already, take a look at the books of the late Tony Neat from the College of Healing, uh, who channeled a higher energy called H-A. That's fascinating stuff. Um, huge interest in you being on the programme tonight and uh, and people are loving it. We, you are listening to Michael Rachia. If you haven't done it before, get to the josephcommunications.co.uk. Look at the series of books. Michael and the team don't get a bob from the sales of the books. The money goes back into restocking and advertising uh, the books. So th this, this is great stuff. So spirit or um, the energy who wants to communicate through you, you've given me the impression you're in the car with Jane, doesn't ask your permission, Michael. I genuinely mean that that would concern me because that to me says that you could be open to that happening with an energy that isn't as benevolent. Well, permission was asked oh, was it? Okay. at an earlier stage. And at every stage in my development, uh, they have been respectful enough to, to ask permission. And I'd, I'd also have to say that motive um, results in the vibrations that you attract towards yourself. So my motive is always to connect with the highest source that I possibly can. And I always begin a, a session when I'm consciously, when I know that I'm going to begin a session by saying, you know, the, the G word, the God word, is a, is a dirty word at the moment, isn't it? 
people have abandoned the G word. Yeah. Now, you can call God source, you can call God creative energy, but I have absolute belief in that higher power. And so I align myself with that higher power before I allow any spiritual contact to be made, knowing that in doing so, I'm protecting myself and that the information that comes through is from the highest possible vibration, the highest possible source. And likewise, I close myself down afterwards so that I can operate, hopefully, for what passes for normal with me on this level uh, following a, a session. Uh, so, yes, permission was asked at every uh, single stage, including when I began to work clairvoyantly. So I was expecting it. And the reason that I was taken uh, into trance in the car was because, as I mentioned earlier, I was terrified of going into trance. Uh, from being a child, when I had my tonsils out when I was five, and I wasn't prepared for being put on the operating table and somebody putting a sucker on my face. And yeah. I struggled. I can still remember the, the uh, doctor shouting, stop struggling, child. And since that time, I've had a phobia, which is lessened now, of losing consciousness. And so the prospect of handing over my consciousness to someone else and me, as I thought, going into oblivion for a while was not a pretty one, was no. not a, a happy one for me. And so they took me into trance unexpectedly, having asked permission that I would do the trance work to show me that I wouldn't, in fact, lose consciousness. It would just be a, a state of altered consciousness. Uh, and then I would be brought back safely into my body and mind. You're listening to Michael Rachie, and you're as fascinated as I am by this. And of course, some of my listeners are bored by some of my questions because some of my listeners are much further along the road in their own understanding than I am. But we have a great saying in Ireland. It's called tough shit, Paddy. And um, sorry for swearing, <laughs> but that's the way it is. It's, it's, it's my football and I, I decide who plays. But no, it is, it is, it is new uh, to me. And I'm sure you've heard these questions a million times before. The Joseph Communications.co.uk. Here's a question I've been dying to ask you. Um, I believe something very wrong is happening in, in the world. I believe that there are, are people who want to take humanity in, to a place that's very, very dark, very ugly. Um, it's enslavement. We, we, we can call it so many different things. And, and I wonder, in the last two years, is because I, 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 I'm just an ordinary bloke and I feel the weight of it sometimes. And you might talk about the weight now. You might talk about energy and the weight and the atmosphere. I feel the weight of it and I get a bit upset. And But then I get over it. You know, I go out and I do something. I imagine somebody like you, somebody as sensitive as you are, and that's just based on what, you know, what you experienced as a child. That's obviously not left you. You're still incredibly sensitive. I imagine it's even tougher for you these types of it times. I knew something was coming, and I knew something evil was coming for two years before all this started. Uh, I began not to sleep. Uh, I would be lucky if I got three hours sleep a night. And I knew that the vibrations were changing because whatever happens in the world happens first as a spiritual act. Now, by spiritual, I don't mean good or bad. I mean that because we are spirit beings... We first create spiritually, and then we filter down those concepts into what we call reality here. And I knew that something was coming. And I agree with you entirely that this is a time when the light, the light energy that we have within us, and maybe we can talk about that next time as well, uh, needs to be streamed into the world to counter the darkness that has descended 
into the world at the moment. And the reason it's descended, briefly, is because we have rejected what we really are. We're wandering, wandering around as, as beings with no memory. We're not flesh and blood. The flesh and blood is simply a vehicle. We are spiritual beings. We are creative beings. And if you shut that out, if you uh, deny that, and instead worship materialism, worship control, uh, worship supposed earthly power, uh, worship supposed earthly riches, and they take the place of what you really are, you're left with the chaos that we see around us at the moment. And what is your instinct? What is your feeling um, about the chances of turning it around? I mean, you said what needs to happen. I heard you loud and clear. And some yeah. good friends of the programme have been on and, and, and said as much as, as you've said. So that, 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 that's fine. You know what needs to happen. How yeah. confident are you that there's enough of us left? I don't mean us as in there's enough of me and you left, but there's enough people left who can connect to what we really are in order to turn this around. Well, we are, we are working to, to do our bit to, to do that. Um, if you've researched me, you, you will come across the World Meditation Alliance that yeah. we put together, where uh, once a week, uh, well, twice a week now in the UK and once a week in the US, as many people as we can gather together, uh, sit with a very specific intention to act as conduits for the light energy that can change things here. Uh, there was an experiment in the 60s, uh, they call it the Maharishi effect, and I should know which city it was, and I, I don't. I think it was New York, but I'm not sure. And 7,000 people meditated for a month and directed their thoughts to that city. During that month, the crime rate went down, the, uh, the number of accidents went down, people were healed inexplicably in hospitals without medical intervention, and what we intend to do is to link as many people worldwide as we can to get that light in. The, 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 the problems that we have began spiritually. The solution has to begin spiritually. We cannot tackle it solely on a physical level. It won't work. We have to tackle it at source. And what is wrong is at source, is at, uh, is at heart of so many souls at the moment. And they have become obsessed, bewildered, entranced by supposed power, by supposed control. Uh, and all these things are illusion, but they don't think so. And you have to wonder if a soul is uh, putting all their energies into controlling others, all their energies into amassing power and money, how long do they think they're going to be here? You know, yeah. it, it would be a very... Uh, enlightened soul that could buy their way out of eventual physical death you know you, you have to wonder what's going on in their minds but there again there's a clue because it's going on in their head minds we have two minds as spirit beings we have the head mind which is the lizard mind which is the calculating mind which is the fight or flight survival mind and we have the heart mind and the heart mind is the connection to the source energy that we are a part of. Uh, and one of the things we teach is to, to reconnect to the heart mind, to move consciousness from the head down to the heart and to receive spiritual information from the heart that makes the path forwards clear and true and honest and kind and loving.
That's a great place to leave it for today. Um, the josephcommunications.co.uk the website is lovely by the way go and check it out you'll see the series of books there given to Michael and Michael's uh, team his group by the spirit Joseph next time we, we can talk about the messages contained within the books for sure and certainly um, about the light work that you talked about earlier on you've been listening to Michael Rachia. Michael it's been a real pleasure um, it's been a real gift I think and a real tonic to be, you know, to, to hear you. Uh, you. You know, when often a news show like this is often bogged down by talking about things that are that are, are not nice. And this has been nice. It's been enlightening and very interesting. And I, I hope in a couple of weeks' time, even early, even very early June, if it suits you, holidays uh, permitting, that you come back and we, we maybe do 90 minutes and we talk a bit more. But I've really loved having you on. I, I would love to do that, Richard. Can I just very quickly, it'll only take a second. Go say, right ahead. If people, if people want to see current soul messages from the group through me they can find them on the Joseph Communications on YouTube Did you, Oh I should have said that, the channel of course thank you, I should have said that Yes, the Joseph, <laughs> the Joseph Communications on YouTube I've been watching the videos myself uh, today in preparation for our chat, uh, check that out on YouTube as well, Michael, thank you and um, if, if not later tonight, first thing in the morning I'll um, send you an email and we'll, we'll, make, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make a date, as it were, for our next conversation. Um, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Richie. You take care of yourself. Bye, Michael. Michael Rachia, folks, thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Big shout out to Maria Heller for connecting Michael with the programme. Maria was saying, got to get him on, Richie. And uh, Michael's a very humble guy because I, I just wouldn't know because this is all new to me. I'm like, who? Who's that chap? And then I, I began to read about the books and I see that there's a huge following and the YouTube channel, lots and lots of interest. Lovely. And I look forward to picking that up again in the future with Michael and those topics with people like Mark and Peter and others. It's important, I think, we uh, we talk about those uh, these things going forward. There's a cliche for you. Going forward, moving forward. That's corporate speak, that crap, isn't it? Who needs that on a Tuesday? Thanks for all the messages, by the way, that came through. Nelly says, uh, great stuff for Michael, brilliant stuff. Eckhart Tolle uh, talks about this in his book, The Power of Now. I have to say, um, the oft-mentioned future Mrs. El Frago herself is a, an, a, an ardent collector of books like that, Nelly. And uh, it's to to not not to my annoyance. I'm not. I'm never annoyed. Not. I'm not like. But it's every other day. There's a book coming through the letterbox. You know, from secondhand bookshops and all sorts. Yes, she's uh, gathering quite the collection of books on these subjects. Um, Ephesians six twelve says Colin. Thank you, Colin. Absolutely. Uh, Paul is not convinced. Paul says this is all part of the new age religion, says Paul. This will be the new world order's religion. That's Paul's take on it. Thank you, Paul. I'll read them all out. Uh, Tracy says don't leave it too long to have him back on. We'll get him back on early June, Tracy, if not before then. Uh, sounds like he's up for it. I'm certainly very interested in having him back. Louise, I don't know if Louise is taking the mickey here. She might be, she might not be. She says I have a phobia of moths. I can never say I can never pronounce words like that. It's like trying to say myth. You sound like you have a lisp. Myth. Uh, I have a phobia of moths. Moths, plural. And I used to be terrified of naked flames. Maybe, says Louise, I was burned at the stake at night. Maybe she's joking. Maybe she's serious. Maybe. We, we know that witches were burned 
in Massachusetts and other parts of the world, still happening in some African countries. Uh, young children are accused of witches in some places. Uh, in, in this day and age, can you imagine it? Now, that's it for me. Thanks again to the wonderful Jackie Devoy. Please look for Playing God on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. She is producing a brand new documentary about how government policies kill people. Help her out there if you can. I'll be helping her out. Thanks, Jackie. And uh, thanks again to Michael Rachia. Lovely to uh, listen to Michael the last hour. The website is thejosephcommunications.co.uk. Okay, I'm closing out with something French. I'm closing out with Ma Plus Belle Histoire d'Amour from the great Barbara, the late great Barbara. What a voice. Thanks for being here. We'll do it all again tomorrow, Wednesday at five. Bye. Du plus loin que me revienne l'ombre de mes amours.